Hi Paolo. Ciao Robert. Hello everybody. Hello to all the listeners. We are having a very special issue today because we are broadcasting um, the live recording of the Education Committee's webinar and I'm here together with Paolo Palladini. Paolo, what is this webinar about? This webinar is about the PSI, the Uh, the, the project uh, of uh, virtual implanting of the prosthesis on the shoulder and how to do this. This is a, a real new technology, a brand new technology, but just at the moment uh, we have some idea that can change this kind of new technology. So I think it will be a very interesting uh, webinar because we are uh, just starting now with this new project and uh, maybe this project is already past, is already not so new and so we are going to discuss if it's really useful to use this or we have to going further to finding something else well this sounds super exciting to me and um, i'm very happy uh, to have you here and that we can broadcast this also over the sesec podcast site and because this is a super interesting issue i think so this webinar is also available over the SESEC website. This is a video version also available there, so you can download it and watch it. And this is the audio version, the recording of this broadcast. Okay, I think, I think we can start. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, dear friends, it's a pleasure to be here with the Uh, this uh, wonderful faculty to discuss about some uh, topics, about uh, some uh, tips that a uh, few years ago it will seem uh, fiction or fantasy, but at the moment we are still discussing if it's uh, still useful to do this. So it's a pleasure to, to have this webinar this evening, and uh, I just want to remember you that uh, the Educational Committee of the Uh, European Society for Shoulder Airborne is going to organize even uh, two cadaver labs in next uh, in next six months, and we have uh, already another webinar planned for October about the distal biceps, and we will have uh, next year other uh, four uh, webinars, uh, and uh, one of these is on uh, shoulder infection after prosthesis. So it's my pleasure now to give my the word to Gregory Cunningham, that is the chief of this uh, webinar. So please, Gregory, good luck, good work. Thank you, Paolo. So on the behalf of the SESEC Educational Committee, it's my pleasure to welcome you to this webinar about augmented reality in shoulder surgery. So tonight, we won't be talking about the past and looking at how skilled we are as surgeons and our great results. We talk more about the present and the future and how technology will help us uh, make us better surgeons or maybe even replace us. So as you know, technologies in shoulder surgery have evolved so fast, we barely bre broke through 3D planning and PSI over the last decade. And now we are already moving to the next step, which is immersive technologies and navigation systems intraoperative. So it is important to lay all the cards on the table and get a clear picture about where we're going now and where we are, where we're at and what is available out there. Because there are so many different technologies that it's important to know if it's, if it's worthwhile. So like most of us in this, uh, in this webinar, I guess, I'm just an ordinary 1.0 surgeon wondering if I should upgrade my operating system. So I've therefore asked some of the best 2.0 surgeons to come and share with us their experience in the field of tech, surg tech surgery. 
how will it improve our practice, our patient care, what is the scientific evidence behind it, what is the burden related to the costs and the equipment, and in other words, is, is the juice worth the squeeze? So first we listen to Olivier Verbot from Belgium. He has, as you know, published a lot in the field of glenoid and PSI, and he is uh, therefore the best person to talk to us about is this technology still valid and where is it going? And then it's an honor to have Bruno Gobato from Brazil. He has pushed the boundaries of in-office 3D planning and printing. He has done a lot of amazing creative stuff. I'm excited to hear about his experience uh, uh, as a second speaker. And third, we'll have um, uh, from France, we have Philippe Collin, who will give us his insight about the practical aspects and technical aspects of intraoperative use of mixed reality. He has been a pioneer in this field ever since uh, the advent of Google Glasses. And since I'm pretty sure he has much more to tell us about what it does and how he does it. And last, I've asked Thomas Gregory from France as well to uh, talk to us about the broader aspects of where we are going with these technologies, what are the challenges that we have overcome and what awaits us in the future. So Thomas is one of the leaders in the field of augmented reality and shoulder surgery, as you know, and this will be a great evening. So between each talks, we have just a few questions from the panel, very short ones, and we go through all presentations. And at the end, we'll take uh, questions from uh, the audience. So um, let's go ahead and listen to the first uh, presentation. So hello, everyone. And um, thank you to Gregory and uh, Sesek for inviting me uh, for this talk. Um, so PSI, where are we today? Indications, uh, limitations, and some outlook for the future. I think we all agree that uh, as we all got better over the last decade or so uh, in our surgery, and we have better prosthetic designs available to treat our patients, we tend to do more and more difficult cases, and especially the glenoids can be challenging in both primary osteoarthritis and cafeteria arthropathy. The biggest uh, technical challenge in the glenoids is, as we all know, is that the fact that we mostly use cannulated glenoid preparation. And that means that the position of that first central pin is going to determine the full glenoid preparation and the final implant position of the glenoids. With the arrival of uh, new technology um, such as 3D planning and patient-specific instrumentation, we can now not only look at the um, native glenoid, uh, but also virtually plan our surgery and position the glenoid component um, preoperatively as we think it would be best for the patient. And then finally, we can use customized guides to actually implement and execute that uh, preoperative plan. This is the very first uh, PSI that I did on a patient in 2012, uh, just to show you, um, as you can see in an easy glenoid, but just to show you how accurate the technology is, where yellow is the preoperative plant position and red is the postoperative position. Today, I'm uh, only using uh, PSI in um, specific situations, and I've selected three specific situations for you in this webinar 
to take a look at. The first um, occasion is, a, is the younger patient with a primary osteoarthritis and a difficult glenoid, like in this case with a, a retroversion of uh, almost 25 degrees. As you can see, young patient with an intact cuff where I still would like to go for an anatomic situation. I will use the um, preoperative 3D planning uh, to see how I can correct the glenoid version uh, to an acceptable um, situation um, and to what technically uh, is still feasible. And for, in order to execute that preoperative plan, I will use uh, the guides um, to, uh, in order to get that result. I use an, uh, a guide to find a central uh, pin location and I will also use a uh, second um, guide for execution of the eccentric, the eccentric reaming uh, as I planned beforehand. As you can see here, uh, this uh, brings me to a situation where the glenoid is um, reduced, is the glenoid is corrected to a certain degree of retroversion, less than 10 degrees of retroversion, which is acceptable for this patient and still allows me to um, use an anatomical uh, prosthesis. This is the post-operative x-ray in this patient 28 months uh, after surgery with an excellent clinical outcome. We have looked at this uh, technique in uh, type B glenoids, all same type of patients, uh, primary osteoarthritis, intact cuff with the deformed glenoids. The mean version was 15 degrees and we were able to correct it to uh, on an average 7 degrees uh, with this technology with an excellent clinical and radiological outcome. A second clinical scenario would um, be a case like this, where it will, it will not only be difficult to find the central axis of these deformed glenoids, but also uh, to look at uh, several ways of reconstructing the joint line, whether you use a graft or an augment. Here we chose to use a graft to reconstruct the joint line, used exactly the same PSI guides to find the central pin position, the corrective reaming and the position of the base plate and um, fixation with screws. And this is the result um, of such a patient where you can see where we managed to deal with an actually quite a difficult glenoid deformity um, in a very elegant way with good clinical outcome. The third and last situation that I wanted to show you, and I would call it the new kit on the block, is a patient where we would reconstruct the um, glenoid uh, joint line with an augment instead of a bone graft. This is an 82-year-old uh, patient with uh, important superior glenoid bone loss, as you can see on the X-ray. And this is how that looks on uh, the 3D planning. You can see that the humeral head has been sitting uh, superiorly and um, created uh, an important superior bone loss. If we would deal with this using a standard um, base plate, we would have to medialize quite a bit. And the 3D planning allows us already to see what would happen if we would use an augmented uh, base plate, like in this situation. This is an, um, a situation where we can dial um, the superior augments into the defects. Uh, to, ma to make it uh, even much better. As you can see, the deepest point of the bone loss is actually around one o'clock, and this would be the situation um, virtually for that patient. I can see that the central pit, the central screw is maybe a little bit too short, and I will um, make that a little bit longer in order to have uh, centrally a bicortical uh, purchase.
This is the interoperative um, view of that same glenoid. On the inferior part, there is some cartilage left. On the superior part, everything is uh, eroded because of the superior migration of the humeral head. I use the same type of guide to find my central pin placement. I think it's uh, important to um, have a good stable uh, position. I also think it's important if you use these type of guides to double check with what you would do uh, without guides. Uh, you're the surgeon, uh, still have to um, verify. And then I use uh, a second guide uh, in order to correct the inferior part, let's say the, the uh, paleoglenoids, um, to uh, what is acceptable in terms of inclination and to what I have uh, determined uh, preoperatively. Then to uh, correct the superior parts, I'm using an augmented uh, base plate, uh, augmented uh, base plate uh, preparation. As you can see here, this is just standard instrumentation, um, but it helps me to accurately um, correct the important uh, deformity of this uh, glenoid in a rather uh, osteoporotic uh, patient. Therefore, I do not want to use a graft and I use this augment uh, base plate, as you can see here. And um, as I bring it in, you can see that just like I prepared my plan preoperatively, the, the, the deepest part of the planoid bone loss is at one o'clock. And this is exactly where my augment will fit into um, the glenoid defect. This, this makes my, uh, so this makes my surgery um, quite effective um, and efficient. This is the uh, post-operative X-ray of that same patient with an excellent position of uh, the glenoid component and the uh, augment in the right uh, position. So I think this is only uh, the tip of the iceberg. Uh, PSI and 3D planning has uh, learned all of us a lot. We all became better surgeons. I think our brains are now trained uh, differently than um, 10 years ago. Uh, but of course, with augmented and uh, virtual reality in our ORs, I think uh, there's much to come. I personally, at this point, use um, augmented reality more for teaching purposes, such as in uh, online classrooms for uh, young surgeons or uh, physiotherapists. But I'm sure there are multiple um, applications for that. And I'm also sure that robots are not far away from our OR um, in the future. Please save the dates to uh, understand and learn more about this type of uh, new technology uh, and come and visit us next year in Antwerp for our um, R2Plastic course uh, in April uh, 2022. Thank you and enjoy the webinar. I have a question for you about your presentation. Fantastic presentation, thank you. But do you think that uh, our trend is uh, to use this kind of uh, devices or method for every patient because sometimes I think that we can misunderstand some glenoid. We can not understand very well if there is a, a, a you find that you can find a different situation respect to your plan. And do you think yeah. that we have to use this for all the patient or what is missing to use mm. this for all the patient? Um. I think the, the cost um, in, inhibits me to, to use in all patients, I must say. Uh, there is always an extra cost. Uh, I think it's important if you're not used to do this, you have to get uh, used to it in all your patients, uh, like let's say for a couple of uh, cases, in easy cases. Uh, and then 
And then as you get better uh, using it, uh, you can trust them and you can go to your more difficult case. But that's my personal opinion. There, I, I know other people are just using it for every single glenoid. They, they say just like you, um, just to miss, uh, just to be to be sure that you don't miss any anything important. Uh, just use it in every single case. But uh, for me, sometimes that's diff difficult to um, to do um, because there is an extra cost. Uh, but it's definitely something uh, that's accurate. It's been shown um, in uh, in easy glenoids. I don't think there is a big difference with standard instrumentation. We have looked at that. We have published that results. Uh, the only thing that you will see is that you will avoid outliers. You will avoid the crazy stuff. Um, but in the difficult ones, I think today, for me, this is the most practical thing that I have. Uh, we'll see in the future. Uh, but today, this is uh, easy. It's, 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 it's available. It doesn't take extra time. Uh, it's even faster than standard instrumentation in my hands now. And I can really rely on it. If you use this, if you can do your uh, PSI directly on a 3D printing, in your uh, operating theater, if you can do by long, by long. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, um, I think we will hear from Bruno. In the next uh, I do not. Just one have, question. The problem is here is that we do not have the C mark uh, to do that, um, to, to make around uh, guides, uh, but maybe in the future. Yeah. What about the humorous? Do you, do you have any use of? Uh... Not me, I must say. Um, I must not, I must say, um, I, I already use guides. Um, which is of course different, but still I use uh, intramillary or extramillary guides. And I don't feel like um, for the, just to make the osteotomy, the humeral osteotomy, I don't need it. That being said, I think um, the future is of course also to implement the humerus on the 3D panels and then uh, and then trust, start to think about soft tissue balance. So let's, let's move to the next, uh, next speech. Hi, my name is Bruno Gobato. I'm speaking directly from Brazil. Welcome to our presentation, In-Office 3D Pre-Operative -pre Planning and Printing. Thank you, Dr. Kamihan, for leading this session. I'm very anxious to see all the lectures that we have today. I have no conflict of interest for this presentation. I'm doing all in my office. And the, object the objectives for this presentation is to show how 3D planning techniques can be, can be done actually for all shoulder surgeries as arthroplasties, but the same techniques we can do for fractures, for the osteotomy, and how this can be done with no special or company-related software. And show also my evolution, my personal evolution of 3D planning from first printing, then planning, and then using now Mixed Reality. And of course, we are not suggesting that you should do it at home. All of you should do it at home. Contact your, your company and do it the, the best way is possible. I first started planning actually my surgeries using 3D printing. For that, we used it for uh, small cases, for simple case. We first used for a clavicle fracture. This was on late 2013. And we thought that using the 3D printing model, we could choose the best uh, uh, implant for that patient and we were uh, already uh, satisfied with that. And then we, we, we started using this kind uh, of model during the surgery to help us define the best location for the implant and even doing less invasive surgeries because we know exactly where the bone is. Uh, 
After that, we started using our knowledge with 3D to plan and do better diagnostics, just as this example. And by that, we started also planning exactly where to put every one of the screws. And we started using it for clavicle fracture. This is the example of a 3D printing with the planning. Here we can see the planning, the reduction, and the optional, optional position for every screw. And we started doing also our patient-specific guides on late 2017, even for our clavicle fracture. This is an example of a patient-specific guide being used for a fracture. And the magic of that is that we, we drill one side and another side, and the fracture automatically reduces itself, putting the implant. But of course, we started using this kind of knowledge for shoulder arthroplasty. We also, uh, we all want to have a case like that, a normal glenoid that you put the implant right in the middle of the, of the glenoid and everything is done. But we are not all the same. We should be, but we are not. We sometimes face something like that, that seems to be a normal glenoid at the first glance. We can see there is something wrong, but we, at first I could not identify exactly what we we have here that was not working every, uh, right, and I started planning my surgery as everyone everyone else, and then I looked that the glenoid the central peg was exiting the posterior part of the glenoid, and I was not understanding why, and then we did uh, a cut like that. And we can check that the central pin, the central vault of this glenoid is not in the center of the glenoid. Well, what to do? You could choose put in the middle of, of the glenoid or in the middle of the scapula. Or you, you can choose planning our surgery a little bit uh, ahead, a little bit in the front of the glenoid, just as this. And who would perform a surgery and put the central pin guide right here if we, not, we, we have not planet in our, our surgery in advance. One thing that you must remember that the softwares for planning is not wide available. For example, in Brazil, we only have the Blueprint software and I think it was only last year it was uh, officially available. We don't have no other software uh, official available in Brazil. Well, once you learn how to 3D plan, you feel negligent not doing that. So how we do? Well, we do our ways using regular CAD software to plan our surgeries. We do the 3D printing to identify, in this case, the retroversion, the inclination of the patient. Sometimes we have bad glenoids. Sometimes we have very bad glenoids that require, of course, a good 3D planning or actually or any planning. We tried uh, thinking about different options, different instruments that we could measure the glenoid. This is just an example of our uh, brainstorming, thinking about how we could do different uh, measuring glen uh, in, uh, guides for our surgery. And using the inspiration from other companies, we also created our own patient-specific guides. These are 3D printed examples, of course, for just for, for checking if they are correct. And you can see we can do it very simple or more advanced depending on what you do. And this is what we do today. We 3D plan our surgeries. As you can see, we check 
uh, every everything from the from from the from the software. This is a regular CAD software, so we import our our CT and do the planning. We do the, the 3D printing. As you can see, this is a very a severe retroversion uh, arthroplasty, and we do lots of printing. In this case, we print the location for 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 the implant to check if it's the correct position. To check, we do print the graft. I'm going to show the patient-specific graft in this case, and we do print the patient-specific guide. You can see just in the in the in the, the table. This is another example that we can do with regular software. This is a revision case that almost none uh, company software can do. So we could extract with some effort uh, the glenoid from the patient and we could do uh, planning. In this case, it's a, it's a revision from a, a, a normal total shoulder arthroplasty to a reversed total shoulder arthroplasty. And this is how we do the planning for that case. We can do planning for, for the screws and we do also the 3D printing, in this case the 3D printing with some smoothing and the location for the central pin that the surgeon can check. We can check prior to the surgery. We, sometimes we don't have this in the surgery but we can check prior to the surgery the location and the direction for the pins. We can also plan our graft. This is an example of a patient-specific graft. We can 3D print, and as you can see, we can plan in a regular CAD software exactly this kind of graft. This is another case. We have a severe inclination. As you can see here, we had also a severe retroversion, and with doing the, using regular software, we could plan the exact position of this implant and a patient-specific huge graft for this uh, old lady. We can also plan the location for each one of the screw exactly to match the best position as we have planned. And this is the image of the 3D design guide that we have designed for this lady. It's not ready yet, of course. And here is the position of the implant with the planning and probably without planning would we would put it directly uh, above. This is some examples of the printing, the guides, as you can see, we print the glenoid vault, check if everything correct. Sometimes we print the guides in, in, in draft mode to check if the position is correct. And with that we can have mobile device. This is a, a, a free software that I can have my planning on my, my mobile uh, prior to the surgery. And we can do also mixed reality this is uh, our first mixed reality surgery on 2017, and this is the case that I have just did for you. We have the 3D printing, as we, this we have everything because it was a, a, a difficult case. So in this we can see the, the model and the 3D printed guides. We do our planning using most regular software, free software that's available uh, wide for everyone. We can use, uh, uh, also use Windows 3D Builder software to plan some surgeries. And now we are doing mixed reality. This is an example from last month. This is the field of view from Dr. Mohitaha from Switzerland. In front of you is my avatar. I'm also using a mixed reality glass. And we are planning ourselves together in a virtual room. So I'm he is lending to me the scapula for the, for the patient. And I'm putting, for example, the implant. And we are discussing... Uh, ourselves where we should put the implant. 
And this is the example for the, of the same case that now this is the field of view from Dr. Mohitaha. I'm in the bottom, as you can see, and I can place a virtual arrow in his field of view, as you can see here in yellow. And when, in this case, we are discussing where to, to do the cutting and the angle of the cutting. So we are using, and he can see this arrow in his field of view as it was that. That, uh, that uh, yellow arrow, it was me that, that has a position in space. So with that, I'd like to thank you. And uh, one of our objective is to inspire. So I'm, I, I will be very, very glad if I have inspired someone to do your own in office or in hospital 3D planning and 3D printing. Thank you very much. Bye bye. You certainly have inspired us. Thank you, Bruno. I have a, a question for you. What is the cost of a 3D printer in your office? Is it something very expensive? Is it something you can get from your corner store? What yes. are your recommendations? Today I'm using uh, FDM uh, 3D printers, that's the plastic, and also the resin-based 3D printers. The cost is from $200 to $700 uh, for the printer. And the cost for the, the resin that we are using today uh, for the guides, uh, it's something like $100 uh, one liter. So it's, it, it's the cost for in-house um, 3D printing is, is very low. Uh, and one thing that's important to know, we, we don't have PSI here in Brazil. I, I know, I'm, not, I'm not sure how... We don't have even augmented implants in Brazil. So, you know, and that, that's something that's important. Not doing, uh, not doing it at all, not doing planning, what, what should I do? Uh, use only blueprint. And if I, if I need another, another, another implant to do, uh, do I rely on my, on my bare hands or do I rely on, or on non-proprietary uh, uh, software? to do it. So today we think it's better to have something that it's not totally, uh, how can I say? Um, it's better to have some, uh, some tools that we can, we, we can use, even if it's not totally uh, yet um, cleared for in Brazil, you know? The, the guides you print, can you so the moment you bring them on the operating field, it becomes an implant, right? So can you see yes. them and use them? Are you, you have any license for this? Get that kind of no, Gregory, I, I don't have license. I use a guide as I use any instrument that I buy from any, 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 any uh, webinar, webinar now, but in, any meeting that we go, we go to AOS. I, I come from, 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 from America with a bag full of, of, of instruments made in China and we use regular, it's on, on my, my OR. And I, I ask why can I not use my, my own uh, printed guide if I can use a China, uh, a China made uh, retractor that I buy on, on, on US. I'm not sure if it has uh, metal, the metal is correct. I'm not sure it has some poison there, but we use because it's metal. So metal we can use and you, I'm sure we, we are not allowed to use uh, plastic or res, uh, resin. I'm not saying that this is the correct way. Of course, the correct way is to do 
just as uh, Olivier, but the correct way is to plan. Uh, I think the, mass, the, the message that we have here, uh, once you do the planning, most of the time you don't even need the PSI because you've done it one, two, three times on your head. And if you had, for example, the model at your hand, you don't even need to, 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 to do it in, in the OR. You can ask the, 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 the nurse to, to, to show you, to show the direction that you should, you should do. You can check and go to the OR and you don't need even to have the PSI or the model inside the OR uh, because of the regulatory problems. What kind of device do you use? You have an Oculus Rift, you have... I have, uh, the, the, I have HoloLens. And the HoloLens that I use is actually from Thomas that will speak. Thomas is a is a is a is a is a huge friend, and he lent me one of his one of his HoloLens I'm using here in Brazil. I think that one of the most important things that you that you told us is uh, when you spend when when you spend uh, a quarter twenty minutes on a CT scan to understand well what to do. I think that you are you have done more than usually we have done in, in last years. No, using a three D using a three D program to implant a virtual implant a prosthesis. I think that you already have done the most of the work, and so it should be enough to implant correctly that prosthesis. I, I just want to, to remember to all the uh, to all the guys that are online that we can uh, you can do some uh, question using the chat that uh, we will send, uh, we'll ask to the, our uh, relators, our presentation. Thank you. Greg, I think we have to do, to go away again. Let's go to the next presentation. Yes. So Philippe Colomb. Then, um, as usual, it has been developed in the army and you need to learn this word, H-U-D, which means head, Hub display. That's very important. It means that you have the reality and you have something which is add in your visualization. I love this uh, figure. Look at this figure. Uh, this is human. This is computer. This is environment. Of course, we know sometimes there is some connection between human and environment or between human and computer. And when everything is mixed, when there is a, com a combination between human, environment, and computer, it is really what we call the mixed reality. So I encourage you to look at this article. This is a very, very important article, which has been published in 1994 by Milgram and Kishino. The name of this article is A Taxonomy of Mixed Reality Visual Displays. They made they explain everything in, the, in this article about what is virtual reality, what is mixed reality, what is augmented reality. Everything is different. And if you refer to this paper, you will be able to understand. If I want to summarize a bit this article, you can see here, this is a physical world. If everything is totally digital, then we call that the digital world. It's, nothing is real. Nothing. Not at all. And if you are closed to the physical world, it is augmented reality. If you are very close to digital world, it's virtual reality. And where 
we are the middle between digital and physical, this is a mixed reality. For the mixed reality, you need to have holograms, as you can see here. And this is a perfect example of the mixed reality. This is a true patient, this is a physical world, and this is the hologram of this patient, and then you can see the patient on the hologram of the patient. This is the true definition of the mixed reality. So, what about shoulder surgery? As you can see here, we are going to speak, but it is not exactly our subject tonight, of education, visualization, and guidance. About education, um, you can see that in this uh, uh, publication from GBGS, it's very useful uh, to have it's very useful uh, to to have a virtual reality for learning. You can learn everything in virtual, and we know that very well now for the student uh, for arthroscopy. It's very, very, very useful. Now I'm going to speak more closely about visualization. You can see here the kit that I use. We called it HoloCase. It means that in each case, you have two HoloLens, one computer, and everything in order to create your web connection and different battery. I'm going to show you a video here, as you can see. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to comment this video that I did with, uh, with the striker. This is the HoloLens. Of course, as usual, <clears throat> sorry, you prepare, you, plan, you, you make your planification, you prepare everything that you want on the planification. You can see here. Then, when you have finished your planification, everything is on the computer, and then you can ask in the planification to download all your planification into the glasses. Then you go in VR, you just open your case here, you see the computer, and you, all the team will be able to see what you see in the glasses in the computer. This is a head-up display, as you can see here. You can see all the visualization. You can modify. You can put it closer or lower as you want. Then it's a regular surgery. So up until now, you need to make an incision. You can see here that you can everything, everybody in the room, the script, everybody, the, the anesthesiologist, and everybody can see what you see here. You see the visualization, the hologram of the patient for the humerus and the humerus of the patient. <clears throat> and you can try to reproduce the level of the cut that you've defined during the planification. You can see it here. Then now you have also access to the CT scan if you want. Now if you go to the scapula, this is the entry point. You can select exact, the exact entry point that you want. <clears throat> you can put your scapula here, and you can reproduce the entry point here as you want. You can see, and I'm going to try to reproduce with my square tip the entry point that I wanted to have during my planification, my planification. This is a graft, because it, it was a bio-RSA. 
data. So I decided to make a graph, and then I can compare the graph on the hologram. And at the end, you can assess the range of motion that you have with the patient to the range of motion that you've planned previously. So the question that uh, Gregory asked to me, it is for, uh, for which patient it is. Personally, I use it for all my patients now. I've done around 150 uh, processes like that. And for me now, it's my, in my daily practice, I can use it. So for which surgeon? That's a very interesting question because it need depend on what you want. Um, for example, you have a remote assist. And for example, if you are uh, not very confident uh, during a surgery, you can ask your master, you put your glasses, and your master can be really far away in, in another part of the world, and the, the, your master can assist you during surgery. We call that the remote assist. Of course, you can perform live surgery. We did one last Monday with my good friend, Philippe Valenti. Uh, you can ask an assistant for your scrub sister. If your scrub sister is not very confident during the, for the different step of the prosthesis, they can have everything, like the brochure, into the HoloLens. And we will speak about guidance, we will, which will come soonly. If there are potential difficulties, yes, of course, because with new technology, you always have new, new problems. So sometimes you can have some problems with the web connection uh, for the live surgery of the, for the remote assist. But if, if it's just visualization or in the near future guidance, you don't need to have a web connection because you download everything into your glasses. You can sometimes have some problem for the battery. Normally the battery uh, is two hours, and 50, or two hours and 50 minutes. So most of the time it's okay. But sometimes you can have some problem if you have other applications open. The advantage, I think, that it's a complete solution. Uh, you, are, you are totally free. You can do everything by yourself, which is very important for me. So you just request a CT scan, then you make your platification, then you uh, download the case into your glasses, and you have visualization and suddenly uh, guidance uh, without connection. Of course, there is disadvantages, there are always disadvantages. Uh, it depends, you are dependent of one software, so you can have bug. You need to have a quality control because you cannot trust everybody. You, can, you need to do it by yourself. And of course, you have some updates and you need to uh, look at it regularly. So the question frequently asked, is it AV? No, it's not. Um, Gregory will probably tell you that uh, it's not heavy, not at all. Uh, it's not a problem. Um, is it difficult to manage? No. I have to confess that I'm not very, very geek. Uh, I'm not wonderful in the management of all these new devices, and it's not a problem. Is it a gadget? Uh, we will speak about that uh, during uh, the discussion. Uh, what about the guidance? Guidance will come in the near future. As you can see, that the goal is to put the HoloLens on the patient and to have guidance of your entry point during the surgery. Thank you very much. And now we're going to be able to discuss. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you very much, Philippe. So I have one question for you. With um, this uh, intraoperative mixed reality, 
do you still use PSI or you don't need it anymore because you can really accurately see where you're entering a glenoid? Thank you. This is a very interesting question. Um, if it's a regular case, you just need to confirm uh, the level of the cut or uh, the entry point. I don't use PSI, not at all, not anymore. Uh, if it's a difficult case or if I don't feel very confident, uh, I think that uh, you sti we still need uh, PSI um, before to have the guidance. Uh, we will have it, but not before 2022. Any questions from the panel? Dr. Philippe, Bruno, uh, do you generally use the, the mixed reality glass from the beginning of the procedure or do you uh, choose in, in a specific time to do it? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, at the beginning, I used to, to just put it uh, at some step of the procedure. Now I, I, I keep it always. I think it will be in our near future. You know, I think it's like the safety belt. Uh, 20 years ago, and I'm, I'm old now, so now for all young people, safety belts, it's normal. Uh, but uh, 20 or 30 years ago, it was so, oh, a safety belt. Yes, yeah, sometimes just on the highway or something like that. Now we just put the safety belt and that's it. I think that for the new generation, it will be like that. Do you use it for teaching the practice, as you said? Yes, I think it's a wonderful design for teaching. First, it's a wonderful tool for your team. Uh, I was very surprised to see that with the time, we are almost, because it's a, well, we are close to your fellow, to your resident, and then you teach, but it's very close. And most of the times the anesthesiologist see nothing, the other uh, nurse, they see nothing. So if you want to share what you see uh, on the screen, it's very, very useful. So first, it's very useful for your very close team. And of course, I think that um, it's very interesting for the physio, even for the nurse, for everybody, because they can, they can see what happened in the, in the OR. Thank you, Philippe. I think that you, you use it for the physio too. Um, yes, absolutely. So in... Um like, like all of us, we have a lot of uh, applications for physiotherapists to come and see the surgery and see how what we do and so that they can understand the surgery better. Uh, and with Corona times, it was very difficult, of course, to let them in in the hospital. And so that was the perfect timing um, to use the HoloLens too. So um, I think it was wonderful. I organized uh, online classrooms for 60, 70 participants at one time. They just log in, it's quite easy, and um, they're, they're very for them it's very helpful. And what about surgeon-to-surgeon -surgeon visits? Now with also the corona, we cannot travel as much as we could. Did any of you use it to have a surgeon come visit, uh, maybe a fellow from overseas who can directly see what you're doing in your OR? Yes, and with the remote assist mode, uh, you can really have a face-to-face -face share. It means that, uh, for example, if, you are, if someone is in Brazil and he wants to have some advice about uh, the, the, how to have a nice exposure on the glenoid, for example, which is a very uh, frequent question, uh, then you can say, okay, I will do one next week, just connect at this hour, and the surgeon, if he has as well, uh, you can see uh, with the arrow, 
they can see, they can show you to you what they, where they want an explanation, for example. So it's a really, you can really have a connection uh, with the surgeon with somewhere uh, in the world. Philippe, there is yes. a question from uh, our president, Emilio Calvo. He asked us if, uh, if you require more time than usually. At, at the beginning, yes. It, but just it, it was just in order how to download the case, how to do this and this. But it takes you two or three cases after that. No, it's exactly the same. Exactly the same. Some, sometimes did you find that uh, is different uh, the position where you put your pin respect to the uh, to the Hololens. So your idea to put the uh, where to put the prosthesis is different, or not? No, no, because. No. no. Paolo, we maybe we should specify that today um, it's still a sort of an imaging. Eh? There is no uh, mapping or, or there is no connection uh, to the to the anatomy of the patient yet. I think um, Philip said that uh, maybe it will come, but it's not a, a specific guidance like interoperative navigation yet. Okay. It's a sort of an intensive uh, way of uh, imaging. Eh? Okay, so let's go to the next presentation by Thomas Grigori. Thank you. Thank you for your very kind invitation and thank you uh, for the CESEC committee. Uh, it's, uh, uh, the, the, you asked me to talk about the future of augmented reality, but we already talk a lot about it. So uh, perhaps I will add some little thing and lots of things will have already been said, but it's always good in, in this sort of new technology to, to, to start to repeat things. So uh, we all know that uh, we're facing the third uh, industrial revolution. Uh, this revolution is so-called the revolution of information and communication. It starts uh, in the 1970s and as uh, any industrial revolution, it has not a linear trend, but uh, an exponential trend with boosters. So the first booster was in the 1980s, a uh, computer for everyone. Uh, a second booster was, of course, in 2000, uh, the venue of internet. A third booster was uh, the miniaturization of the, of the computer and the hardware with the uh, creation of the smartphone in 2007. And nowadays, uh, the main booster of this digital revolution is artificial intelligence. So where are we in the, this uh, revolution of information and communication? probably still at the beginning, and that's why it's so exciting. So if you want to figure out how digital technology transform medicine, there are uh, five main areas, telemedicine, personalized care, simulation, augmented patient. And today, we're going to talk about the augmented surgeon, especially the augmented shoulder surgeon. And uh, as mentioned uh, very nicely in the previous uh, uh, talk, uh, it's about 3D printing and mainly planning, navigation also with the Exatech system, robotic, um, uh, I think it was mentioned robotic, we do not have really robotic in shoulder surgery, perhaps uh, it will come one day. Also the limit is the cost of the robotics, so it's not so sure that the robots will arrive soon in our theater. 
And uh, I strongly believe, and I think all the panelists uh, strongly believe now that mixed reality is now in the portfolio of the augmented uh, surgeon. So uh, I, I enjoy very much the, 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 the talk of uh, all the uh, previous panelists and the introduction of Philippe Collin. Uh, the concept of mixed reality was not launched, but refreshed by uh, Microsoft with uh, uh, the HoloLens. So what is the HoloLens? Now, I think you, you're becoming to be familiar with, with the system. It's a headset, but uh, it's not just a headset with camera. It's a real computer, in fact, and it's a computer you can interact with through artificial intelligence sensor. So by uh, voice command or gesture, uh, filmed by the camera and understood by the system. It has also an inside out tracking movement sensor. So at any time, the HoloLens know where it is, uh, it is in his environment, where the wall, where, where is the floor. It can modelize also uh, a table. So it can place 3D virtual element in the real environment. And it's why it's so called mixed reality and as uh, any computer it has uh, all the functionality of a real computer uh, wi-fi bluetooth and the ability to uh, use different apps that software that can be created for this new device uh, from a, a normal software so in december 2017 we used for the first time the hololens for shoulder arthroplasty uh, um, i think uh, uh, it was uh, one of the world premiere. And uh, by that time, uh, we had access to the 3D reconstruction of the patient anatomy to the take up in an holographic mode, which was quite useful for the scrub nurse and for uh, the, the assistant. Uh, the surgical planning in 3D. And uh, I was uh, remotely assisted by uh, surgeons and friends and mentor from uh, UK uh, and US. And uh, we have realized by that time that uh, uh, this technology has a huge potential uh, in surgery and especially shoulder surgery. But the first version of the HoloLens was not good enough. The artificial intelligence sensor with which you interact with your HoloLens were not performant enough to uh, make it a tool for routine practice. So where are we now? Since then, Microsoft launched the HoloLens 2 and with this second version, uh, as you already saw, the interaction with the holograms and the app are much more fluid. And uh, uh, in February, we organized with uh, some of the panelists uh, a 24-hour of holographic surgery event. It was not only shoulder surgery, but uh, mainly shoulder surgery. And, the only purpose of this event uh, we, we, we organized with Microsoft and Evolutis was to demonstrate that the technology can be used anywhere um, and it can be used in routine practice. Uh, and personally, I use it also in routine practice for all my case, not only for the arthroplasty. So the question, the interesting question is then, uh, now, is this technology going to be accepted in shoulder surgery and in, sh in surgery more generally? And it's quite, I think it's quite interesting to refer to this publication of The Lancet about the factor that uh, drives the adoption of the innovation in surgery. And you realize that mixed reality meets all the requirements. First, 
it is well known that the need for technology is well perceived and therefore encouraged by the patients. Second, in March 2021, so very recently, Microsoft won a nearly 22 billion contract with the US Army to produce custom HoloLens headsets. You can therefore realize that the HoloLens will be developed further with more effective version in the near future, and this is dramatically important. Third, the, the cost. The mixed reality is a relatively cheap technology. It's not a robot cost, it's even not a navigation column cost. It's accessible for any hospital in the world, and an HoloLens cost approximately uh, 3,500 3, euros. And beyond that, and probably more importantly, uh, Microsoft is not selling directly the headset, but uh, the Microsoft is partnership with reseller. And now we've got reseller like Evolutis and also Synergies that also helps to handle the system for surgeons and to connect it to the hospital network. Uh, and also they help the surgeons to overcome some issues. So this, uh, uh, um, this part is very, very important for the development of mixed reality in surgery. Another parameter is the perception of this technology by surgeons. And um, after our 24-hour photographic surgery event, we ran a survey to collect surgeon perception of the use of this technology. That is quite brand new huh? because the HoloLens 2 just arrived, let's say, last year, but it was the year of the COVID pandemic, so really in the theater uh, uh, this year. So, uh, and the, 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 the answer of, uh, of the surgeons uh, was uh, uh, quite incredible. All the surgeons were satisfied and very satisfied, and 95% of the surgeons declare that they are prone to continue to use mixed reality in their practice. Another very important parameter is uh, the interest of the medical research on mixed reality in surgery. And uh, uh, last year, there were uh, 20, 323 publications about mixed reality and surgery, reference on PubMed. And it's quite funny to compare this exponential trend of publication of mixed reality in surgery with the exponential trend of arthroscopy and surgery. It follows uh, roughly the same uh, curve, of course, uh, with a gap of 30 years. So in another word, uh, we can foresee that mixed reality will be used in maximum 30 years as frequently as uh, arthroscopy nowadays, probably much more rapidly because uh, uh, everything tends to, to accelerate. So what about the benefit of the HoloLens in our practice? I think all the other panelists mentioned it very well. Uh, in our survey, the, the, the question which mixed reality function was found the most useful, uh, the surgeons answer, answer first, the capacity of the device to facilitate discussion and feedback with colleagues. And the other uh, uh, mixed reality functions that were found helpful, but a little bit less, is to be able to access to the pre-op data of the patient and then the capacity to access to the pre-op planning. So today, the first benefit of this technology is to use it by connecting to the system, to a Microsoft team meeting, 
uh, i.e. the evolution of Skype to share information with colleagues to do live surgery, at, uh, as uh, Philippe Collin mentioned, uh, to do some training to juniors and to uh, also be able to connect to other practitioners. It's quite interesting to be able to uh, connect with a microbiologist if you uh, operate on an infected prosthesis. So another benefit of this technology is, of course, the ability for the surgeon to accept a computer during the surgery. Uh, and this is because you interact with your computer uh, by oral command or by simple gesture and not with a, a real keyboard and a, a mouse. And consequently, to connect with all the application we or he or she usually use before the surgery. So we have access to the patient note, to the packs, to the patient's image, to the operative technique, to any model created before the surgery in an holographic mold. Uh, he is also able to uh, shoot photos and video and to transfer them to other colleagues or to a, a OneDrive of the, of the department for teaching purpose. So uh, you can see on this video, video uh, how uh, the HoloLens uh, can be used to access uh, the pre-op surgical planning on the top right. Uh, the tech-op in an holographic mode on the top left to connect to teams, so, so to, to other colleagues uh, uh, that are outside the theater on the bottom right, and uh, even to, to connect to, to uh, the packs and the data of the patient, uh, thanks to an app called a remote desktop, where the HoloLens take control to a computer of your hospital. So the data stay in your hospital and you can uh, uh, have access to all these, uh, to all these, these data. So navigation, so what is the future? Uh, we can use mixed reality as a cheap navigation system for shoulder arthroplasty and beyond that for any kind of shoulder uh, surgery, that's a question. And today, uh, you can import the HoloLens, uh, in the HoloLens, the pre-op planning in 3D from a dedicated planning software as Blueprint or Medicab, uh, as shown by uh, Philippe Collin, or from open source software, as uh, very nicely demonstrated by uh, Bruno Gobato. Uh, and of course, you can manually grab the hologram and drag it, drag it so that uh, the visible part of the bone fits with the corresponding part of the hologram, but uh, this is rather inaccurate and that's uh, far too inaccurate to, to, to have a, a real uh, guiding system. But uh, as uh, it has been very nicely shown, uh, there are lots of research that are currently being performed to incorporate mixed reality to traditional navigation system or to use a QR code like Pixis Medical and, and Striker uh, and Evolutis. So with the next generation of HoloLens, uh, with a more precise mapping sensor, the headset should be able to use to be used as a navigation system on its own. But of course, it will take time, the time needed to get C marking of a guiding app. And we all know that this is probably the most critical aspect. 
So as uh, very nicely show, uh, Bruno showed in his presentation, another useful application that has just been just appear and is quite uh, interesting, especially uh, uh, after the COVID pandemic or, uh, or all the benefits we are after or still in the COVID pandemic. It's cap the capacity to use the system to perform holographic avatar meeting. Uh, you can see on this video the Join XR app of a UK-based company called Fracture Reality used to create a meeting during which 2D documents together with 3D reconstruction could be shared. It's perhaps uh, uh, the new way people could discuss complex case before the surgery. Uh, and uh, I think we will talk more about that in the coming months. So just to conclude my speech, I believe that the HoloLens opened a new area. And it's probably the most important slide, uh, probably not the more, more, more easy to understand because there are no, um, nothing concrete to show yet. But it is the area of artificial intelligence guided surgery. So what is, what is this new concept? In fact, the mixed reality system with its cameras, with its eye tracking system, with its microphone is able to capture thousands of data of surgery and surgeons. So this data can be processed by artificial intelligence algorithms that will then transcribe to the surgeon in the headset itself in order to give element to perform an even more personalized surgery. So the algorithm will be much more experienced than just one surgeon because it will collect experience for, from thousands and thousands of surgeons. So to conclude, I think that uh, mixed reality is nowadays in the portfolio of the shoulder surgeon and the ecosystem. And I think this is uh, a very important thing. The ecosystem to make mixed reality a tool for routine practice is now created and it will gradually uh, increase more and more. So uh, it is, of course, at this stage, uh, at the stage of the evaluation and the next stage is to perform more scientific research on this topic. And mixed reality is a tool for tele-assistance, tele-expertise, tele-mentoring. It has the capacity to become a tool that will democratize navigation, uh, probably with the next version of the HoloLens. I and mean, we are sure now that uh, uh, the, uh, the next version of the HoloLens will be much more performant than the uh, 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 current version. And to me, it opens a new area, the area of artificial intelligence guided surgery. And this is really, really fantastically uh, enthusiastic. Thank you very much for your attention. I'm happy to answer any question. So thanks, Thomas, for this great presentation. For the future, we talked about intelligence, uh, artificial intelligence. And uh, my concern is when we, if we give more and more decision process to engineers who do reconstructions of our 3D uh, of our scans or to uh, robots, who uh, will be liable if there's any mistake? Well, can we sue the company? Can we sue, I don't know, the collectivity? 
It's a very good, very good question, and uh, uh, nobody has the answer yet, I guess, because uh, uh, we will see when it's uh, going to appear. But uh, I'm not worried at all. You know, uh, the lawyers will uh, adapt uh, very, very quickly to the change in the theater. Uh, I believe that uh, uh, um, the main motor for this uh, revolution of uh, computer-assisted surgery uh, that now move to artificial intelligence-guided surgery is are the patients themselves. And uh, perhaps uh, it's a little bit too strong, but I believe that the technology will not replace the surgeon, but the surgeon that have technology will perhaps replace the surgeon that has no technology. I have a question for you, uh, Thomas. Yes, Philip. Uh, thank you. It's a wonderful presentation. How can intelligence, artificial intelligence, can help for guidance for you? Um, you have to take example. For instance, uh, at the Assistance Publique des Hôpitaux de Paris, so uh, you know the big institution of the Universitary Hospital in Paris, you've got an artificial intelligence uh, algorithm that analyzes all the X-ray performed from the emergency. Why? Because lots of uh, fractures were not seen by, uh, by, by the doctors at the emergency. And now the algorithm, you know, draw a little square around what he thinks is a fracture. At the beginning, people thought it was just a, a little trick. But now the algorithm are, have improved and have, uh, have, uh, have learned a lot because he, ha he has already analyzed hundreds of thousands of X-ray and he's so performant. And you can, uh, you can imagine very soon that uh, this kind of technology algorithm with your headset will be able to analyze the picture of your uh, arthroscopy when you put your camera in and analyze uh, uh, very precisely the nature of the uh, of the tear of your tendon. So first is to understand what are the structure and the disease, the, 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 the pathology. And then probably the next level, it, it, will, it will propose you a, a better solution or the optimal option because uh, uh, the experience of the, his algorithm will be even more performant uh, uh, than the, 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 uh, the performance of the, the top key opinion leader uh, uh, nearly retired in uh, his area because he, he will have analyzed hundreds more uh, data from thousands of surgeons. Question from the panel, from the uh, from the chat. Someone is asking you something similar to what you told just now. It is possible that the HoloLens uh, can help me with the soft tissue arthroscopy surgery? You have just now answered for this, I think. Yes, yes, partly because uh, I believe that uh, uh, when we think about mixed reality to date, it's about computer-assisted surgery. So it's, it's to, to make the invisible visible thanks to the recalibration of the pre-op image. Uh, bone, of course, it's an easier way, but also soft tissue. Uh, it's very important. Uh, mixed reality has not achieved this goal yet, but uh, we've seen in, uh, with uh, 
uh, Olivier, Bruno, and Philippe presentations that uh, this is just a question of time. And, uh, you know, we are now with the uh, iPhone 11 or 12, and uh, it's nothing as compared to the iPhone 2. And we are with the version 2 of the HoloLens. So you can imagine the progress of the hardware with the version 10. Uh, it's not going to be in a hundred of years. It's going to be, uh, 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 I think, every year you, you're going to have another version. So that's very important. That's, I think, the main topic of interest of shoulder surgeon doing cheap, democratized computer-assisted surgery for, uh, of course, shoulder arthroplasty, but in fact, beyond that for any kind of surgery, fracture, clavicular fracture, as uh, Bruno uh, uh, told us and show us, any kind of fracture, AC joint uh, disease. And, but to me, the real interest, it, it opened a new area because when you will perform the surgery, the, 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 the device itself, it's able to capture some image of the surgery. It can also capture with the eye tracking of the camera, uh, your emotion, the emotion of the surgeons uh, uh, that could also uh, 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 be processed in a, a artificial intelligence algorithm. And uh, it will, I believe, dramatically change the surgery. I don't know when, but once the door is open, you, you know that uh, uh, somebody gonna go in. And another, another question maybe before Bruno. When do you think that we can uh, get accurate guide pin uh, targeting with the HoloLens or Bruno or Philippe maybe? I think everyone that started using mixed reality uh, started using it, thinking about a, a navigation system, but then we, 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 we went to a different, uh, uh, a different need. So today we are not using it as a navigation system itself, but I think uh, everyone in this room has thoughts, has projects, and has ha have been trying using as a navigation system as Thomas and Olivier. I think Olivier has a, a great experience in that too. Anybody can share their experience with the navigation system? Philippe, you showed a few images. Did you do some cases with navigation with mixed reality yet? It's very difficult to answer to this. <laughs> For you, you understand why. Um, what can what I can say that it's the fact that we we have almost finished the lab, and we are going to start uh, on patient at the beginning of 2022. The questions from the from the audience from Mohi, uh, any place for navigation instead of PSI? No need for the 3D prints. Olivier, what do you think? Because this comes back to your uh, topic. Yeah, good question. So um, before I used PSI, I also was involved a little bit in the use of uh, computer-assisted surgery, the, the the older first generation navigation type, and it was it was really uh, fantastic once it was set up. But it took so long to set it up that in the end we stopped doing it. But once it was set up, the real-time navigation I thought it was fantastic. Um, now we're on uh, at the PSI level, uh, much easier, uh, faster, and so on. But I must say, once in a while, 
in I mean, technology-wise, a little bit disappointing. You come from the high-tech 3D planning uh, software, you go into the OR, OR, you get these two, three pieces of plastic, and that's it. So I think we should move back to navigation. I, I agree, but in an in an easier way. So putting in the trackers is 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 a challenge. Uh, mapping uh, the anatomy is a challenge. The software is a challenge, and so on. But I'm, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll we'll get there sooner or later. So maybe PSI. It's just, it just, it's just a bridge or, or, or it's to bridge the gap um, between <clears throat> what we're used to do and what's in the future. A, a question to all the panel. Do you think that it can be a problem for uh, people not using uh, PSI or uh, virtual implant or navigation if you have a medical legal problem for this kind of patient? If you implant a prosthesis not in the right way, the judge can ask you why you did not use these devices. Because you have, you can use, you should use on all the patients. Thomas. Yeah, I think it's going to be a standard uh, as the uh, technology is a standard for 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 uh, uh, planes. Uh, um, now no, nobody chooses uh, the plane pilots when he has to go to 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 a place to to another. Uh, I'm afraid to say that probably uh, the, the place and the role of the surgeon will change, uh, but we will adapt and we will, uh, and the surgery without surgeons uh, is uh, still uh, not, uh, is still a, 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 a fantasy, uh, but yes, everything will adapt. Uh, so, so, so the only um, question is the price uh, to me. So, uh, so far, uh, system uh, of computer-assisted surgery are quite expensive. So they cannot, they, they, they cannot become a standard. Uh, but as soon as you will have technology, relatively cheap technology that will become a standard, it might be opposable. Any more questions from uh, the audience? No question anymore. Okay, so you all agree that PSI was, uh, as Olivier said, uh, a bridge to a new uh, kind of navigation using mixed reality. I'm uh, looking forward to these uh, developments and to see your next uh, presentations to all of you. So I think we can conclude on this uh, great session, or unless there's any more questions. So I'd like to thank a lot uh, our speakers. Thanks a lot for your great talks. Thank you, Paolo, for your um, assistance and guidance. Thank you uh, also to our president, Emilio Calvo, who helped with this uh, webinar. And of course, Sylvie and all the technical team uh, to make it uh, feasible. So thanks a lot. And hopefully we meet in live with no HoloLens uh, in Poznan. Maybe, maybe. Thanks, Paul. Yes, thanks to all, and uh, let's see on October for the distal biceps tendon lesion. Thank you. Thank you. Well done, Gregory. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Greg. So this was the special issue in the SESAC podcast series. It was the recording of the webinar organized by the Education Committee of the SESAC. It was called Augmented Reality in Shoulder Arthroplasty is PSI Already Obsolete with Gregory Cunningham 
from Switzerland and Olivier Verbot from Belgium, Bruno Gobato from Brazil, Philippe Collin from France and Thomas Gregory also from France. I hope you enjoyed uh, listening and you can find this webinar in the uh, website of the SESEC in the version with video so can you can watch the video with all the presentations and uh, you can find it on the SESEC website enjoy viewing so my name is Robert Hudek and I hope to hear you soon bye